Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I don't have much of a voice. I'm still struggling with that, so I'm going to make this intro quick. This is our third annual movie wrap-up for the past year. I'm joined by Glenn Gaylord and Michael Doherty, fellow film lovers. I give them a proper intro uh, when we get to the space. But um, I wanted to do a little um, pre-announcement letting you know that we did this recording at Cedar sinai Hospital, where Michael is recovering from a surgery. Um, so you hear a bit of humming in the background. I think it's something connected to the bed that can't be turned off. So, uh, but uh, we roll with it. And um, I think if you love movies of the last year, uh, you'll hear things that make you want to check out things you might have missed. And that's certainly what happened to me. Before we get into the movie talk, I wanted to mention that the Mismatch Game is coming back next weekend, Friday the 7th and Saturday the 8th of February. If you're in LA, come check it out. It's going to be a blast. I hope I have a voice. Um, and now without any further ado, here are Glenn Gaylord and Michael Doherty with the year-end wrap-up of Movies from 2019. Hey there, this is a first for the Dennis Anyone podcast. I'm coming to you from Cedars sinai Hospital, where one of my guests today recently just went through a kind of plastic surgery. Michael Doherty, film lover extraordinaire. He is also the co-director of the Real Abilities Film Festival Los Angeles. I'm here with Michael and Glenn Gaylord, who is a senior film critic for thequeerreview.com, which is a really wonderful website. And this is our third or fourth year of doing year-end movie wrap-up, right? How many years is this? I don't know. It feels like 10 because I'm really mad at Michael for something he said right before we started this podcast. Which is what? Which you, Well, you'll find out later. Okay. Like, you'll hear my anger level go up because we're, we're about to fight over a movie at some point during this podcast. Okay. So stay tuned, viewers. It's getting ugly. But I love that we're so, we want to share our thoughts about the year's movie so much that we were making, we, we've got our, our recorder set up on a cart. We've got, uh, we've got it going on. So we're all geared to go. And let's, let's be clear. Yes. I'm not passionate. I'm angry. You're, you're angry about movies or you're angry about... Um... About what Michael's going to say. Okay. No, no, no. Um... You're angry about movies. <laughs> right. Okay. So, Glenn, you do this really cool thing called Moments Out of Time, which is instead of doing like a 10 best list, you pick moments out of different movies that resonated for you. And how long have you been doing that? And, and where did it come from? Well, it originated from Film Comment Magazine. And when I was a kid... I couldn't wait till that February issue where they went through every movie that they could think of and pick scenes or shots or lines of dialogue. It could be from a terrible movie, but they found something, a little nugget. And so I started doing it maybe seven, eight years ago when that the magazine no longer did that or magazines no longer existed. Right. And I really love that. And because top 10 lists really don't mean anything to me, but moments in movies are what I come away remembering. And do you make notes of them as you go along through the year? No, I look back at my reviews. And, and then you can remember. And it, yeah, I'm pretty, I mean, if it's not memorable, then I'm not going to Then it doesn't make the list. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to dive right in there because I know you have something later this evening. Uh, so yeah, I've got to go in 10 minutes. you so. got to wrap it up. So um, you're going to say your moment at a time, and then Michael and I will jump in with our favorites and thoughts, right? Yeah. Sound like a plan? Sure. sure. Okay, start us off. All right. Well, the first uh, moment in time is it's probably in my top two favorite movies of the year. Um, and I'm just going to read you directly what I wrote. Okay. And you tell me if you can guess the movie. Okay. All right. A door opens. Someone calls out, honey, as the plot veers off at a jaw-droppingly unexpected biggest WTF of the year direction, turning a light class comedy into something far, far deeper. Is that Parasite? It is. Very good. Yay. I so. just saw that for the second time 
yesterday, and I saw it again because I had fallen asleep the first time I saw it in a theater, and I thought I slept through like 10 minutes. I think I slept through like 45 minutes because there was so much stuff <laughs> that I don't remember at all, and I'm so glad I saw it again because I think it's wonderful. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil that moment because it's a big moment in the movie, right. but it's a, mo- a film filled with... You're surprised at how you feel about the people you're watching more than anything else, and it makes you rethink each person, and their performances are so singular and interesting that there aren't any real villains in it. You you really can sort of ping-pong between the different sides. Yeah, I kind of wanted to win the best picture. I think I kind of wanted to win. Uh, What are your thoughts on Parasite? I love it, and one of the things that I've been doing of late is, is writing up a best of decade Mm. list and I have so far about 134 movies that I might whittle down or I might just present that whole list and one of the things that I've been I've noticed is that there are four movies from 2019 alone that automatically made that decade list including Parasite because Parasite is a perfect film it's perfect that from beginning to end moment after moment you're just like how did somebody write this because it's not based on on anything it's 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 like i said moment after moment scene after scene with every single character it's so beautifully written and etched and and glenn's right there are no there are no bad people in it you 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 start to think that you're going to identify with the poor people and you're going to be shaking your fists at, at, at the rich people and and but then especially the wife of of the of the rich family she's so daffy and weird and 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 cuddly and and lovable um, that your your alliances keep switching and and then in the middle of or I should say at the 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 at, toward the the end of the first half of the movie the the poor family or the, the Kims? No, are they... Is the Kims or the Parks? I think They're Kims, the two families. Kims are the poor people. The, the yeah, okay, the so the, the, the Kims concoct a way to finally get their their last family member hired by by getting the, the housekeeper fired. Who and, and the housekeeper is allergic to peaches. And, and you see them, and, and it's... It's so horrible what they do to this woman, but it's so ingenious and hilarious, and they use this really epic music, like marching band music, to do it, and then by the end, when they finally pull it off, the crowd in the Writers Guild Theater were on their feet cheering for Literally this. on their feet cheering. Um, it was, it, and it and was, they're a tough crowd, sometimes. Yeah, and it was it was so exciting to watch, and, and, and it's like, the filmmaking was 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 just was just was was just goose pimply, and I I was I, I'm absolutely in awe of it when when a filmmaker can 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 pull off something like that and and not misstep. Yeah, the fascinating thing is Bong Joon Ho was at another Writers Guild screening that I went to a couple weeks ago, and he said that his co-writer turned in the first draft, and that this big twist moment that I'm referring to, which I won't give away, wasn't in that draft. And that it was just this sort of class comedy. And then Bong Joon-ho came up with this idea based on a little snippet of something that the original writer had put in and just went with it. And 
it's, it's hard to imagine the movie without this giant plot twist. Right, it would have been 45 minutes long. Yeah, and um, so it's, a, it's what, it, it, it makes a really, really good movie into a classic. Yeah. yeah. What stayed with me this time, the second time, was there's a, the rich guy talks about the smell of the poor guy. Yeah. And, and how you just, and you feel like, and, and, and it breaks your heart because you feel like the poor guy, even if he could do, he could scrub himself to the end of time and it would never go away. Yeah. And I just found that so... Um, it breaks your heart. It, heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, as you can tell, I'm still struggling with my voice. So we're going to carry on. That's your, that's your first moment at a time. Yeah. All right. What else you got? Well, no. Should, gotcha. you want to you start? Oh, yeah, next? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because you, you have different Yeah, different so we're going to bounce off. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Um, Serve it up. So how, how spoilery can we get? I know you don't want to, but what? No. Don't be spoilery. Okay, don't... Um, well, this isn't. Um, I want to give. Up, I want to talk about the ending of a movie, but it's not really spoilery. But I do want to talk about this. So, another one of the the four movies from 2019 that would make the, my decade list is Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, um, which is one of his best movies. It's one of the two best that he's made in the 21st century. The other being Silence, and it's with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci and Al Pacino, and it's about. Um, Jimmy Hoffa and his right-hand man, who was this uh, uh, truck driver who ended up becoming a, a hitman and this sort of low-end guy in, in the Philadelphia Mafia. And it involves um, basically how this guy lived his life in the mob and grew old in this violent world where everyone around him was basically murdered except for him that's the spoiler basically is that he doesn't die in the end um, and the moment that I wanted to talk about is basically the final shot which involves De Niro in his old age home and a, and a half open door and he's just sitting alone um, and a priest has, bas- has, has left his room after they've prayed together um, and De Niro asks the priest to leave the door open because he doesn't like the door being closed. And I've seen the movie now four times. Wow. <laughs> I have a lot of time in the hospital. Right. Um, and it brings me to tears every single time I see it um, for two reasons. One, because what it says in the overall narrative that this man will never find peace, will never find redemption, and even though he wants it. But in the larger scheme of things, and in the larger scope of Scorsese's career, and this is a guy who's been directing movies for now 50 years, that in every movie that he has ever made, he has only really dealt with horrible people. But I think what he has suggested in every single one of these movies is that even terrible people just, and I'm gonna get emotional again, and I've been on a lot of drugs, and yeah, we'll very, blame the drugs. I've been very vulnerable, so that may be the drugs talking. But everybody deserves a fair shake. Everybody deserves to have God come into their lives and be redeemed in some way. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing for any artist to suggest a, a, about humanity. Um, and so I, I think after 50 years of making movies, and that's, that's, that's really, really kind of wonderful. Um, and so, 
if you didn't make another movie after that, that this was it, I would say, hats off to you, sir. Um, and that's what I'd like to say. So that's it. So there you go. I, I, well, I know Marty listens. So yeah. although I wouldn't say Hugo is about horrible people. <laughs> that that's actually true. Fair, <laughs> fair enough. But um, yeah, I mean, The Irishman has this moment that to me is like one of the big moments of the year, uh, which is this really chilling, very short scene after JFK is assassinated and Al Pacino, who plays Jimmy Hoffa, head of the Teamsters, orders the flags at the Teamsters Union, which are being flied at half-mast, to be raised back up again after JFK's death. Because they were rivals and you know, there's the speculation that Hoffa had him killed. And so this moment where Jimmy Hoffa and Robert De Niro and Ray Romano, who plays their corrupt lawyer, um, are looking up at the flag being raised back up. And in that moment, I say, here's the death of decency. Here's the death of America. Like, here's the moment where it all died. And it's impossible not to look at that moment and reflect on what's happened just in the last couple of days in this country where you see something very similar, where people are conspiring around this one person to basically kill decency and kill truth and kill democracy. Well, I think one of the reasons I, I liked it, but I didn't really take it into my heart in the same way, is that I kept thinking about Trump and this mindset of guys club, macho mobster mentality. Like, and, and then this movie sort of plays out where does that lead you ultimately, which I liked. But I think I just kept... It tampered my enjoyment a little bit of it that, I, that it felt so contemporary in a way. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly not a happy movie about... No dying alone <laughs> yeah. and watching once powerful people not be able to do anything <laughs> and I, but I did love the shot of the taxi cabs something happens to these taxi cabs they push them in the river yeah I just thought wow that's so much to see it's, a, big, it's a big power move yeah I loved it <laughs> alright um, so we'll go back to Glenn now with another moment at a time All right, what about you do you have a movie well I okay I've got like five unsung movies that were not on anyone's Critics list or anything Ooh, cool. that I really enjoyed. Long shot, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. If you're on a plane, it's worth it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, that's one I missed. You haven't seen it either, have you? No, I have. I, I. It's interesting because I didn't like the humor in it. Like I didn't find it particularly funny, but I really liked the romance. Like the chemistry between the two of them really crackled. I agree. And um, it's like it's like. Charlie Theron could have chemistry with, with sand. Yeah. I just thought it was... I loved it. I just thought it was really entertaining. Mm. Yeah, you got to check it out. I, I've been trying to figure out how to see it without having to spend a dime because I'm cheap. Okay, well, <laughs> they didn't send out screeners, so I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, my next one, in Moment Out of Time, is actually my favorite line of dialogue in a movie this last year. Okay. And it's very simple. The, the line of dialogue, let's see if you know the movie, is Climb in My Fur. Oh, yeah. Name oh, movie. Hustlers. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's such a star. Like, if J-Lo weren't a star, this would be her star-making moment. Comes early on in the film. She's sitting on a rooftop after having done this incredible pole dance in this strip club. And she's up on the roof having a smoke in her fur. And Constance Yu, who becomes someone she mentors, um, is standing on the roof wondering how can she be friends with this person. And Lopez's Ramona just opens the gates and says... Climb in my fur, and a beautiful friendship results. And it's just one of those dynamic um, 
star star type of roles um, that is so much trickier to pull off than people have given Jennifer Lopez credit for. Well, I've been very um, open on this podcast about how Team J Lo for the Oscars I was. I'm still devastated that she didn't get the nod. Um, so people know how I feel about J Lo and this movie. I love it. And 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 it it, it I, I there were a number of snubs. She's at the top of the snub pile. Right. Um, I think so. In terms of people that people were saying were going to get nominated for sure. Yeah. Um, but you, I mean, it's interesting that you you say it was like the beginning of a beautiful friendship. It, it was also one of the great con moments in in movie history because she was also seducing her into this long con game of hers. Right, but I don't think she was looking at her as a mark as more a co-conspirator. Yeah. So it's not like she hated her ever. Yeah. You know, she but she did. She had her eye on how to build this coalition. Yeah. And she was clearly an easy mark. Yeah. But she also seemed to genuinely like being around her. Yeah, she did. And um, my favorite moment was the whole introduction with her, the the criminal dance scene. I mean, she she found new ways into heterosexual male fantasy that I didn't even know existed. With, oh, with, there's with, a tingle on this podcast. With, with that 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 dance fantasy, I was just like, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, I'll, I admit that it's just like, oh, that's, that was delightful. So, I think you might feel the same way about Kristen Stewart dancing in her underwear, not dancing, but running in underwater. Oh, to be seen eventually. Okay, all right, that's not on your moment. Oh, this, it's, that's this, this year. year. That's okay. this year. It was made three years ago, but sure. I have, and I haven't seen it. So. Okay, yeah. Well, I just loved what Hustlers had to say about how capitalism has left so many people behind and everybody's got to have a, a hustle to survive. Yeah, and it was, also, it was also interesting, and I heard this as a criticism, that it, 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 didn't, it didn't demonize the, the men as, as much. Like, it didn't, it didn't make them out to be... Monsters, like it, it solely focused on the relationships of the women, and and what they were up to, um, in in the story. Yeah. So, I agree. Yeah. All right. What's your next one? Um. Well, let's let's talk about my favorite line of the year and another giant snub, which uh, the the movie was Dolomite is my name. I like that movie. Um, love the movie, and and let me just scroll up here for a second. Sorry, just to get the line right. It's um, Eddie Murphy, set in the seventies or sixties and seventies. Seventies. Seventies, and it's a it's the story of Rudy Ray Moore, uh, who was a, a stand up comic and started out as not a very good one, um, but that was in part because he was being denied. Um, his his kind of true voice because the the um, the club managers weren't letting him curse as much as he wanted to, and but what he was doing was he was hanging around with the drug addicts and the homeless people in the, around the record store that he was was working, and he was getting stories about this 
I think he was like a mythical character called Dolomite. And he, he then started to write those stories down. Um, and um, he ended up going to a screening of um, Billy Wilder's The Front Page, and which at the time was a, this gigantic hit. And he comes out of it with his friends and he's like baffled as to why people were, were, were so responsive to this. And he's coming out, and one of my favorite shots also of the years, he's coming out uh, uh, partway through the screening and he's looking up at the, the projector light across, coming across the theater and he's looking up at that and he's wondering like, what's going on here? And he comes out at the screening and he says, I gotta get up in that light. Um, and he's, he's talking about more nudity in, in, in movies and, and more vulgarity. Um, but, but, but more it's about like, I have to figure out how to get more self-expression and, and more, more sort of violent self-expression in it. And there, there's a moment in it where uh, he's sitting on his couch and you're watching a brilliant comedian acting like an okay comedian becoming a brilliant comedian. And it's one of the most astonishing scenes I've ever seen in a movie. And, and, and uh, yeah, so that, that was, that was the, one of the scenes of the, the year for me. So well, I love any movie where somebody that's been counted out rallies and gets back in. Just by sheer will and hard work... Yeah. And gumption, and I'm always inspired by movies like that. Yeah, this is, I mean, I think it's criminally overlooked, this film. Because yeah. it is so entertaining on top of all of this. It just moves. And Wesley Snipes is it's incredible it's so good. as the director of Dolomite. Uh, and he is just so pretentious and funny and outraged by the unprofessionalism around him. And the way he says action. is hilarious. And... Uh, um, what is the uh, actor Divine Joy Randolph? Is oh, that her name? Yeah. As one of the actors in Dolomite, uh, who is an unconventional, un- unconventional beauty, who finds such empowerment by being in this movie, and she says to him, "You know, thank you. People like me don't ever get to be characters in movies like see this. themselves." And she's not just talking about Dolomite. She's talking about Dolomite is my name, too. Like, people don't get to be in movies that look like her. And thank God this movie cast her. Because uh, she is just such a great discovery as well. I love it. All right. And the costumes are amazing, too. Amazing. Yeah. Um, what's your next no, one? You're, you're doing oh, I, okay. I only have five on here, so I Go thought I'd space them out. Gloria Bell, Julianne Moore. I just thought that was early in the year. I just thought it was a great performance by her. And uh, I don't even actually remember much about what happened in it, but I think it's worth a look on it. If you're on a plane, I really liked it. Yeah, if you like to watch actors sincerely sing in their car to Air Supply, this is your jam. That's right. Uh, no, I she really, does, and she sings, I think she sings an Olivia Newton-John song. She does. And, I mean, this is a remake by the same director. Right. Uh, and this is the English language remake. And I love to do it. It's very simple. It's very small. And that's exactly how it's meant to be because you're seeing this very tiny baby steps of a woman finding her power. And I do remember, it has some, some movies have this scene where you watch an actor's face and just what plays on their face, it feels like a miracle, the, the changes that happen. And, and there were a lot of moments like that with her performance. So, who's All next? Right. I think I'm next. 
All right. Um, I wrote about a couple of different moments from this movie in my article, so I'm going to veer off a little bit because there's a, a third moment that has really stuck with me. Um, I've never cried in a Quentin Tarantino film before this one, and in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the final scene made me cry. And without spoiling what that scene is, you have um, a person who's longed for acceptance finally getting that acceptance. And you're seeing that for three hours of this character just really yearning to be included in the club. And when he does, it's such a heartbreaking moment because you think about what could have been historically, that the out, had the outcome been different, you could have had a moment like this and celebrate multiple people. And I'm being very vague on purpose for those who haven't seen it. But it's just, it's such a great moment for this underdog character who's been counted out, just like Eddie Murphy, you root right. for these types of characters. Of a certain age, of I think that's age, another reason I relate to Counted that. out and feels irrelevant, finally feeling like they're relevant. Right. And it made me cry because you can tell that that's a passionate thing on Tarantino's mind as he ages, you know, to say, to stay relevant. I just watched the movie again and it makes me feel good. I don't know, it's, it's, at the end I had this good feeling, which is not what you usually get from a Tarantino movie. Right, and do you think it's because of this character's arc? And I think so, and I also think Leonardo DiCaprio is so underrated as a comic actor. I think he's so funny. Well, his, his <clears throat> freak out in, in the trailer. Is a tour de force, where he, he beats himself up over a bad performance, and it's so funny. Yeah. But then, but then he, he does that he gets, he goes back in there, does the scene, and so he's confronted his own neuroses, he nails it, and then, this is the moment that I thought you were going to say, his, his pint-sized child actor co-star comes in and then co- compliments him and says, best thing you've ever done. And now I'm getting emotional. She said that was the best acting I've ever seen, seen in my whole life. life. And, yeah. and then he, the, he, the, he takes that in. And, and that is like the first time he's ever been complimented. And then, he, and then he's like, yeah, I got it. Because he, he, rec- he recognizes how serious she takes it, which is how serious he takes it. And so it's like, oh, now I finally met another person who's on my level. Right. Because you see him taking it seriously from the very beginning. And no one, he doesn't think anybody else is. Right. And I like that, I felt like it was a valentine to actors and and what they can do at their best. And I also am blown away when actors can play actors who are bad. Yeah. Or or so-so in a scene and good. Like, I find that level of difficulty really... um, Incredible. Yeah, but I just saw there, there was one moment at the intercom when when that person on the other end says his name and he pauses and he kind of stands up straight because he can't, again, he can't believe that there's that recognition there where, where, where that moment hits him that's so moving. Where it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's a beautiful scene. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. All right, that was one of yours? Yeah. Okay, what do you got, Michael? Okay, well, my favorite, 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 favorite movie of the year that brought me to tears for days on end was also... 
the single most disturbing, darkest, most disturbing movie about emptiness that that I have seen and many people have seen. It was called High Life. Oh God, I thought you were talking about The Kitchen. No, that was like my second favorite. <laughs> uh, it was Claire Denis' movie about a group of, of uh, prisoners, including Robert Pattinson. Have you, have you heard of this? I've heard of the movie. I haven't seen it. Yeah. But I love how Pattinson is turning into being These a really the, interesting the, the actor. The best actors on the planet right yeah. now. Um, and they are sent into a space in a, medical, in a metal box. And they're basically all having sex and fighting with each other and um, dying or being murdered. And they're all being sent there to uh, get to a black hole, which they're meant to explore, but everybody kind of believes that what is basically going to happen is they're all going to get sucked into it and die. Um, And that's going to be the end of that. Um, But along the way, uh, Juliette Binoche is the doctor who is exploring fertility um, and trying to see if they they can all um, uh, breed and, and... eventually continue the human race and they and they end up having a child with Robert Pat she ends up having a child with Robert Pattinson and I'm sort of giving something away but I'm not because it's like halfway through the movie the child is born and Robert Pattinson basically ends up raising her on his own and by the end it's basically just the two of them and the very last line of the movie is shall we as they near the black hole and the whole idea I think in the end is that we're all going to die and it's hopeless and it's black and it's terrible and it's pointless and it's sad but we get to do it together and I think that that's kind of the most beautiful and wonderful statement that you can possibly make about anything. Mm. Is that, yeah, it may be the worst thing that we ever have to go through, but we get to do it together. We can do it together. Did you see it, Glenn? I did, yeah. It's a very cool, original outer space movie. You don't see things like this. It reminded me aesthetically of Alien. Um, you know, it's got that sort of lived-in spaceship look. And there's a lot of silence, and there's a lot of unspoken dread in the film, and there's a lot of violence that and mixed in with sex, and so it's it's a very, um, uh, it's very much like this end of the world quiet death of a movie. <laughs> I think that post that should have been a line on the poster. <laughs> I don't <laughs> yeah, know why they didn't. That that well, one really sold tickets. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional, but I don't mean to. Please, we're all feeling lots of feelings, so yeah. well, and that's what's you, wonderful about movies. And if you hated movies, you wouldn't be on this podcast. That's right. Yeah. So. But it's it is abs- it's challenging and it's deep and it's dark, but it really is truly wonderful. And you know, it is the reason that I do love movies, and I I'm thankful for that Claire Denis had the balls to make it. So I love it because I love doing this episode every year because I always leave with movies that I need to watch that I miss somehow. Yeah. And that's so. currently streaming, I think, on Amazon. There you go. Or Netflix, I'm not sure which, but check it out. Okay. So that was one of yours. What do you got, Glenn? Um, is it my turn? I think again? so. Okay. I only have a few more left, so we'll All spread right. them out. 
I, it's really hard to talk about some of these movies without spoiling them, and here we go again. All right. <laughs> so, okay. Jojo Rabbit. Oh, here we so, go. So there's a moment in the film where our lead character, a little boy named Jojo, who's a young Hitler youth, um, sees a butterfly flitting on the ground, and we follow his point of view and just watch it flit and flit, and he stands up to get a better look at it, and as he stands, you see these shoes next to him, and... You know, this kid who's felt all this power by being one of Hitler's scions loses everything in this moment, and I can't tell you what it is, but it's this moment where the movie goes from wacky to instant heartbreak, and where there is, it's like there's no way out, there's no hope, and it, that film walks that tonal tightrope so beautifully in that moment and transitions over into something else without losing its lightness. And it's not an easy thing to do, and yet this fantastic movie manages to be hilarious and heartbreaking, which is no easy feat. I agree. I, I agree, I love that movie. I, I, I don't think it's perfect. I, I wish that it had been all, all comedy because I don't think the drama sticks the landing a lot of the times. Although there are a few scenes where um, Scarlett Johansson is walking with the kid through the, the town square and they discover bodies hanging there. And he, there's one moment where they, they see some, some of these freedom fighters that, are, that have been caught. And he, he, at one, one scene, he looks away and she turns his head back and he asks what did they do and she says what they could and I, I thought that was really poignant um, uh, but there's a and then one of the things one of the scenes that I liked was at the very end um, when when the, the Russians and the Americans have invaded and there's all this war, warfare going on and um, uh, things have, have sort of settled down Sam Rockwell who plays one of the Nazi captains is trying to calm uh, Jojo down. And then one of the Russians is approaching and is going to take Jojo away because he's one of the Hitler youth. And then uh, Sam Rockwell pushes him away and starts screaming at him about being a Jew. And then the Russians kind of leave him alone. And I thought, what a, what a brilliant little twist right. there. And what I got to thinking about Sam Rockwell's character was my, my hatred of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri is well documented. Jojo Rabbit is the corrective to his character in that. This is his, that character done brilliantly well. That's a good analogy because they are very similar yeah. roles. And, and, and it's, this, is, this is that role done correctly, I think. So... Interesting. Yeah, and this is one of the few Rebel Wilson movies this year where she's really perfect in it. But you know what else she's <laughs> really, 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 really good in, Glenn? Are you going to say Cash? Yeah. This I was, is where the fight... All right, I we're was, packing up. This is where my answer <laughs> been really fun. Spoil over. Oh, my You God. might find good things in Cash, but Rebel Wilson is not one of them. No, yeah. she's, she isn't actually good in, in, in that. But uh, but but Cats is a, Cats is a, a really... Really enter and by the way, welcome to my room, the the heavy side layer. Yeah, this yeah. is the heavy side layer. Yeah. Okay. Well, then it, I'm it, old Deuteronomy. It, right. 
Welcome to it. Yeah. I I thought Jojo Rabbit was really great, and I I kept wanting more Hitler. <laughs> like bring in yes, more, more Hitler. Hitler. And whoever, what movie ever makes you think that? So, mm. all right, who's next turn? Is well, it? he was bringing up cats. So oh yeah, gonna, okay. just gonna. Well, cats, cats really isn't on my my list as such. But but I I I thoroughly in, enjoyed. Aspects of cats. I thought Ian, Ian McKellen was was delightful. I thought Judy Dench gave it everything. I thought I thought Francesca Hayward gave it everything. I thought uh, Jennifer Hudson gave it everything. You may not like the material. You may be freaked out by a lot of the aspects of it, and, and good on you for that. But I I thought that there was stuff about it, it was genuinely genuinely well done and, and and good. There's a lot of crap in it, for 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 sure. Yeah. yeah, but for Jennifer Hudson to give everything, I'm assuming you're meaning her mucus. Uh, because she, she literally does, gave, she, she gave a lot she of She really mucus. did give mucus. <clears throat> um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think for a plot-free, terribly scored film that doesn't make any sense and looks like, you know, Uncanny Valley times 10, yeah. there are little bits and pieces, sure, that anybody could pick out. Yeah. But it's also really boring, and it's really... No, just, I, but the thing is, it's like, it's so, it's so weird... That I couldn't be bored by it. I find it dull with moments like with the whole tap dancing cat. Which I I thought that was the best part of the whole. Like that was genuinely good. Because it feels like a musical for finally. Yeah. 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 I think it's more problematic than not though. Okay. I would not say genuinely good. Okay. We went to the Cats Rowdy screening at Alamo Draft House, Uh which they're still doing those. And there was a big article in, in like New York Magazine about how they're catching on. But we were given like this little cat keychain keychain or something and as a souvenir for being part of that screening. And I got home and I looked at it and there were like four poison warnings on it. Like made it like it, it was almost like toxic. And I thought, wow, they can't even do the doodads. <laughs> right. It was just like it, it made it look like the scariest thing you've ever brought into your home. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's beside the point. But yeah, Anyways. yeah I mean. Yeah, it's a it's a good curiosity in the way that the who's the, you know Ken Russell's Tommy sure. is something where it's not good but you gotta watch it yeah. and you're excited that it's coming like oh they're making it finally this will be interesting yeah. that's like six or eight months of intrigue yeah <laughs> and then you watch it and then you, then you watch it exactly yeah. all right who's who's got something else I'll share one of mine um, I liked Where'd You Go Bernadette with Kate uh, Blanchett. Um, I was moved by it. I liked that it was about what happens to a creative person when they don't do their thing. Um, I liked that theme of it, and um, I was into it. And I liked seeing the Antarctica footage, even though it was probably somewhere else. It was Greenland. It was. It was yeah. Greenland. Yeah. It, was Greenland. it reminded me of that remake of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. With yeah, which I also liked. Yeah. It had some of those elements. I thought Kristen Wiig was really good as the nosy neighbor, yeah. the judgmental neighbor. And I, I enjoyed The Daughter, and I liked... Kate Blanchett's weirdness in it. Uh, it's Richard Linklater. I don't think he's his best, but I think it's a really, you know, surprisingly enjoyable movie. And it got really slammed when it came out. So I think it's one of those ones that is, might be better than you think it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, I, th- I thought it was a, curi- a, a curiosity more than anything. But yeah, she's she's like untouchable as as an actress. So like anything she does is at at the very least interesting. Yeah. Um but I again like the thing about her being an artist like like I the artist as asshole. Like I I, I just like that 
idea. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, she was just interesting to, to watch all the way through. So. Yeah. And it felt like a book, you know, it had that kind of scattershot kind of feeling. It didn't feel like a three X screenplay, yeah. um, which I just thought was interesting. Yeah. It definitely shatters that mold. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My next one is from the film Portrait of a Lady on Fire, yes. which I think is a masterpiece. Yep. I think it's a great movie. It comes yep. out on Valentine's Day. Um, nationally, it was released for Academy consideration in 2019. Didn't pick up one award, which is crazy. I mean, considering the cinematography alone is worthy of an award. Uh, but this film is um, set in the 1700s, correct? The 1700s. Um, and it's about a woman who her mother is trying to get her married. And she's kind of an aristocrat. And so she wants a portrait made of her daughter to send to the proper suitor to approve. You know, it's sort of like 1700s Tinder. Right, exactly. And, uh, so she hires this woman to paint her portrait after many attempts that have failed with other painters. And it's really about this, the female gaze of this woman painting this other woman. She has to paint her from memory. She can't have her posing. And so it's about the, and her, them falling in love with each other. And so it's about the female gaze that works in both directions, so the, the painter and the subject, and the subject looking at the painter, and developing this deep, deep love. And so my moment from it is the final shot. And again, without giving away the ending, it's an extended, long push-in on one of our main characters, listening to a symphony play, a music cue that we had heard earlier in the film that was important, and it bringing up the floodgate of emotions of what this person's life choices were, what, how her life could have been different had she been more um, able to make her choices. And it's heartbreaking. It's this extended uh, shot that really just broke my heart. I watched this the other night. I thought it was beautiful. I loved the intimacy of it. There weren't a lot of different people in it. There were hardly any men, which was great. And I liked the side characters as well. There was a, there's a young woman that works for the, the family that has a central part, and I loved that story alongside the love story. It, it was another one of these movies where I, I was in, in tears at the end of it, and, and Glenn's right, that final shot is so breathtaking in, in, in execution as much as what it means. And I, I think part of the reason that it's the whole thing is so moving is as as much for the story um but also because of the 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 filmmaking i mean it's like scorsese level of of brilliant and we're talking like early scorsese like the 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 level of energy that that this young woman um brings to it and and my moment i would have talked about that final shot but my favorite moment from it was when when the the young painter is first coming to the 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 the, the Brittany Island um, she is on this boat with these these men and, and they're the only men that you see in the whole movie I believe mm-hmm. and she's she has these um, canvases that are 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 loosed um, from their ropes and they, they fall into the ocean and w- without thinking and without a word she gets up and she dives into the water and she gets the, the canvases 
and they're still on the boats. And she comes back, she manages to get back, and she gets the canvases. And I, I, I burst into tears, and I didn't, I didn't understand really what my reaction was in, in that moment. And don't worry, I'm not going to cry now. But I think, I think what I was reacting to was, one, the, what you understand about that character in that moment was so clear, was that what she was willing to do for her art and, and, and what, who she was as a brave person in that moment. She wasn't, she wasn't a pushover. She wasn't quiet. She, that's what she, who she was, you know, was. And, and I, I just thought that was just so, so clear and powerful. And, and I, I, just, I just started cheering in, in the theater. And the woman that I, I was sitting two seats over from kind of looked over at me and she's like, what's going on with you, buddy? And afterwards, I, I got to talking to her about the whole thing. And, and we've been friends now for, for months. Movies bring people together. Because of that. That's so, amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right. Do you want to start us off on one of your movies, Michael? Uh, sure. So from maybe the most female movies of the year to uh, one of the most masculine, um, Ad Astra, James Gray's movie, which gave us, along with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, gave us um, Brad Pitt's best year. I think, and, and Ad Astra gave us his best performance. And I want to read you um, a, a quote. Um, he, uh, he, there's a lot of voiceover, because this is basically um, Apocalypse Now in space. Did you see it? I have not. I, I want to see it. Okay, so basically he, he plays the world's best astronaut, and he's, he's sent on a, mis- on a mission to uh, Mercury to retrieve his father who who previous years earlier had been sent um, to the outer reaches of the galaxy um, to determine whether there is intelligent life and the they lost contact with him and it's believed that he went nuts and, and killed everybody else on the mission and toward the end of the movie um, Brad Pitt who has been this stoic um, almost sort of emotionally removed, uh, kind of uh, uh, solitary guy, uh, leaves this transmission. He says, I am steady, calm. I slept well. No bad dreams. I am active and engaged. I, <clears throat> I am aware of my surroundings and, and those in my immediate sphere. I am attentive. I am focused on the, on the essentials to the exclusion of all else. I am unsure of the future, but I am not con- but I am not concerned. I will rely on those closest to me and I will share in their burdens uh, as as they cons- as they as they are concerned uh, as they share in mine, sorry. I will live and love, submit. And the way that that is delivered is is very sort of calm and quiet. Um, in the way that a lot of the other things in, but a bit of emotion has actually crept into the whole thing. And what the movie finally says in the end, I think, is that we go looking for aliens or we go looking for God and there's nothing there. So it's a very secular movie and a very atheist movie, but what it, what it believes in the end is in people. And like High Life, 
which I think is a, a much darker and despairing movie, says that we're, we're, life, is, life might actually be kind of garbage and awful, but we have one another to endure it. And there's, it's, it's weirdly hopeful in that regard. Um, and so it's, it's, it, it was really beautiful, uh, and I, I recommend everybody see it. Plus, it has one of the, one of the most thrilling action sequences involving a ladder um, that, that's been filmed. So I love it. I need to see it. I never saw it. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's, I mean, I'm talking about the opening sequence yeah. of the ladder. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, a good, it's a very quiet film where um, uh, this character whose heart rate never goes up higher above than, 70 right he's a very calm presence is actually kind of dying inside because he can't connect with this person and, and, and for all of the despairing reasons that Michael has laid out uh, it's fascinating I, I don't think it's for everybody I think that a lot of people will find it boring and pretentious but it's got something to say and I like the filmmaker James Gray a lot nice alright I'm adding that to my list of need to sees now alright all right. what do you got he's Glenn? also a really interesting guy to listen to because he's like this nebbishy Jewish guy from Brooklyn who makes these really like, like sterile kind of serious movies, but he's really kind of goofy and silly to listen to. Did he do Guardians of the Galaxy? Or am I no, thinking of somebody else? No, that's uh, James Gunn. Oh, okay, all right, all right. So the, the, James Gray did the Lost City of Z. Oh, right, right, right. The, the immigrants. Right, right, right. Okay. okay. So um, a lot of people are commending Laura Dern on her performance in Marriage Story. She got the Golden Globe. She's an Oscar nominee. She's got her big speech in the movie that people love. But yeah, actually, she didn't do a pole dance. She didn't. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a spotlight on a different Laura Dern performance from oh. last year that I enjoyed thoroughly. I don't think it's a great movie, but it's a really interesting one, and it also speaks to me in the times that we're living, uh, which is J.T. Leroy, and she plays this author who can't sell a book, basically, so she concocts an alter ego played by Kristen Stewart, who is this young woman pretending to be this young boy as the writer. So it's basically an aging writer who doesn't want to put their face on a book jacket, pick somebody younger and higher. Right, because you got to have a gimmick. you got to have a gimmick, and that's how she's going to sell books. Yeah, right. Until the whole thing unraveled, and it was a scandal, which I think everybody took the wrong message from the scandal. The scandal that they're looking at is she lied, she's a liar she duped everybody she had to hustle the the bottom line is she had to hustle to sell books yeah and that's what really went missing in the discussions this is what aging people have to do to get a leg up right and so what laura dern does in the movie in this amazing scene is she hides in plain sight so they're going on a publicity tour and kristen stewart doesn't want to talk in interviews because she's shy and it also give away the roots. Right, she doesn't know what she's talking about. So Laura Dern plays her very British manager who does all the talking during the interviews. So there's the real author pretending to be a manager and really getting her message across because she's the one who's saying everything. Love it. And it's hilarious to watch and heartbreaking at the same time that somebody has to go to these lengths um, because they're perceived to be out of touch. Yeah. I get it. Did you see it? Mm-mm. No, now I want to, though. I, yeah. re- I relate to that. I, again, not great, but it's such a fascinating story. It's yeah. a true story, and you just kind of go, wow, this is a lot of hoops this person had to go through. I have to give it up to her. Yeah, it's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of Can You Ever Forgive Me, of like a desperate person concocting a ruse. Exactly. And getting away with it until they don't anymore. Yeah. Um, what's your next one? Um, 
Well, one of my favorite horror films, which is, I don't actually think is a horror film, is uh, Midsommar. Oh, yeah. Did you see it? Yes, it's bonkers. Yeah. I don't actually, I think it's more of a, of a breakup drama than it is an actual horror film. Right. There's kind of, all these interesting themes going on. Yeah. Um, and it's a cautionary tale about being a bad boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and my favorite thing about it is all of the kind of odd rituals that they come up with um, for the, during the whole festival. Um, and eventually, when uh, the friend, uh, Florence Pugh character finds out that her boyfriend is cheating on him with one of the other Swedish ladies and finally lets all of her grief, including what has happened to her earlier in the movie with her, the death of her, her parents and her sister, she begins to cry, which turns into a howl and then all of the the women in the in the commune gather around her and they begin to mimic that and they begin to howl um, along with her and it's one of the strangest things I've ever seen in a movie because I started to, I, 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 I was moved by it the first time because I thought, well, here is a, is, is a, a world, a perfect world, where people, strangers, are sharing in our grief with us. But then I began to wonder the second and third time that I saw it, is the movie presenting this as a kind of mocking? And the fact that I had that question made it all the more interesting and deeper for me. Um, and, and wondering about it. I still don't know um, so yeah no it's, it's, it's amazing that movie is so nuts yeah I just remember thinking at the end of it that I'm going to write the worst TripAdvisor review for that place <laughs> that crazy place they all went what did you think? well I loved it and I think that the filmmaker I love filmmakers who pay attention to transitions not every filmmaker does that where they think of how to get from one scene to another a lot of people just go oh, we'll figure it out in the editing room he locks himself into things that I think are so cool. And an example that comes on in the first act, where Florence Pugh, who's traumatized by the death of her parents and sister, um, is not getting a lot of help from everybody around her. So she goes into this bathroom to cry, already having agreed to go on this trip to Sweden, to go to this commune with all of her friends um, that don't really want her to come because she's a bummer. Right. And she goes to the bathroom to cry, and we're overhead looking at her in the bathroom. She gets up walks out the door, and she's in the aisle of a plane on her way to Sweden. And it is just one of those economical choices that he made that I thought, you can't cut around that, and now we're on the plane, and I love that he got us there on an emotional beat in the film. Right, he thought it through before he'd ever shot it. Exactly. Yeah. It's cool when those moments happen. Yeah. Because even as a filmmaker, a film goer, you're like, you appreciate the thought and the effort. It doesn't really take you out of it. You're like, ooh, they planned that. Yeah. Yeah, not everyone does. Yeah, they're not just figuring it out in the editing room. But the other thing is, though, that there is a, there's a director's cut to it. Yeah. And I love, I've seen both of them now, and I don't prefer one over the other. I think they're both two very different movies, and they cause two very different reactions. Um, and I, I, I wonder about that. 
that he 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 purposefully like you're saying like he did lock into a certain reaction in that moment, right? But he 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 created enough choices so that that he he made one movie where it's like okay, I'm 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 creating something where you're 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 gonna feel something. But now I can also offer you something else where I know you're gonna feel something completely different. That's interesting. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love that they still do director's cuts when nobody buys DVDs. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have one other. I have two other ones on here. Good Boys, the comedy <gasps> with the kids. Yes, yes. I love the hell out of that it's movie. The best movie. I thought it was sweet and funny. I thought the kids were hilarious. Best movie. Yeah, it's fun. I loved it. Yeah. I don't remember much about it except that I loved it. Okay, can all I, do you have anything about it? Yeah, the the um <laughs> the, the shootout in the in the drug house. Oh yeah, because I I just I just love that they're the kids are doing this so that that the the the, uh, the Jacob Tremblay kid can just kiss a girl. Yeah, and they have the, the paintball guns and they're good. and it's set up like Scarface and. And they're 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 cursing, and it's just it's so so amazing. I love that movie so much. And one of the things that that again, I was like crying. I, I cry a lot. I movies. cried in that movie. That, I, I cry a lot. That that in the age of of Me Too, there are a lot of particularly, I think, male writers and and filmmakers that are 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 trying to be good boys and and teach us all lessons about women. And are doing are doing shit jobs at it, but but with this movie, I think what they do that's kind of profound is 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 the way that they're showing that we should be good about women is that men and particularly boys need to be sensitive and good to one another. Right, that you could be vulnerable to and one still another. have friends, and that's that's how you will end up being good to women in the end. Yeah. Is that and yeah, high, a lot of soci- no, a lot of sociologists talk about what we're doing with our boys and what we're teaching our boys, and so many um, cultural problems that kind of grow out of that. Yeah. But I thought that this movie was doing something, saying something new and important. The value system around that yeah. came through, exactly. in addition to the comedy. Exactly. Yeah. All right, a, a film that few people talked about that really I keep going back to, and it really just got to me, and it's on Netflix now is. The Ted Bundy movie starred Zac Efron called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Um, it's one of the final scenes of the movie. It's not giving anything away that Ted, Ted Bundy was executed for his crimes, right? Right. Um, but his, um, his fiance, Liz, comes to him uh, days before his execution, and she tells him, release me. Like, admit your guilt. Just release me. And he wouldn't. He refused to. And uh, she's begging him. And... She just wants to know what happened to this one victim's head. Because there's all this evidence that shows that he killed this person. And he won't say, he won't say. And she's begging and badgering and making sure that he's just to get him to say something. And what he does, which was so chilling, is he just writes the word hacksaw in the window. At, uh, uh, the, the window between them. And then she sees it and feels grateful that, like, Finally, he's admitting it, right? And then he just wipes it away with his hand so that there's no evidence of it. Right. And it just chilled me to the bone that this sociopath, he does something kind of good for he her. He gives her what she wants. Because he gives her the peace of mind that she needed. Right. And, and then makes sure that nobody else can ever... Right, and it'll never make any difference. Right. And it just it, it was chilling to me that mm. that type of manipulation from this, type, this character 
that it was so conniving and yet kind at the same time. Interesting. And her walk down the hallway after that happens. And all the scenes where he's representing himself are just completely insane. Yeah. Those are based, though, on actual yeah. footage. So this one was something that I think was, you know, not necessarily, not necessarily happened. Yeah. But they kind of brought the themes of the film into focus there. And John, John Malkovich as the judge in Miami is a hoot. Okay, if you had told me um, in 2019 that I was going to like two superhero films more than a Star Wars film, uh, I would have jumped out the window. Um, but show it goes. Um, we had two films, uh, uh, Avengers Endgame and Joker. And I have not really liked the, the Marvel films except for Black Panther, really. Um, but Avengers Endgame, they did a really good job with that. And they, 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 it was satisfying, it was fun, it was exciting, and it was actually really kind of moving in the end. And the moment that I loved in that uh, was during the final battle um, when Captain America picks, uh, or yeah, when Captain America picks up uh, Mjolnir, which is Thor's hammer, which paid off a joke in an earlier movie, which actually made that movie, earlier movie, kind of good. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a really powerful moment, and that was really great. And Joker, um, through and through, was actually kind of good. It was, it was crazy to watch. And I, I'm not much of a Joaquin Phoenix fan, because he just does too much of the acting stuff. Right. Um, but it fit with the character, and the moment that I genuinely loved, because it kind of came out of nowhere, was, was when he climbs inside the refrigerator. Um, so he's going to win the Oscar, um, which is, I'm not a fan of that, but none of the people that I wanted to win were even nominated. So whatever. Okay, back to you, Glenn. What do you think of um, Joker and Avengers Endgame? I didn't see Avengers Endgame. I hate all Marvel movies. That's so right. I'm with, I'm with Martin Scorsese, okay? Sue me. Right. Don't at me, people. Every time I go to a Marvel movie, because it's supposed to be the best one ever, I get there and I'm sitting down and I'm like, oh, it's this. It's this. Yeah. I know what this is. It's, it's the, the way they, they It's just they crouch down and then they stand up. But, <laughs> but you know. You can yeah, get too much. Credit. I always get a little bit sucked into the pocket. <laughs> But uh, I like Joker, and I looked at it as a sequel to the Scorsese movie, The King of Comedy. Yeah. It felt like it, its natural sequel, and I thought it paid homage to that original well. Um, I enjoyed it. I think it's a little one-note, but mm. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think I liked it less than you. I felt like it was just... There, it was so hopeless that there was no drama. It was just like, oh, everything's just going to get worse and worse and worse until he's the Joker or whatever. Like, it never felt like, oh, maybe he could go another way, but he doesn't. It's like, oh shit, this dude. Yeah, his There's, mental state's going to disintegrate whether you like it or not. Yeah, no, you're just watching it happen. Yeah. Um, my last one that I mentioned was Blinded by the Light about the Springsteen fan in, he's a, a British Indian descent and he loves Springsteen and it, he comes to see Jersey or something. I cried, I loved it. I don't know why, it's one of those twee British movies, but I don't know, I'm not a huge Springsteen fan. But I just loved how, I guess the way it shows that art or pop culture or film or music or whatever can touch you in a way that takes you out of yourself and out of where you are and the way art can infect people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like the movie. I didn't love it because 
growing up, or being a Springsteen fan around other Springsteen fans, right. it really did hit upon how people smothered people in their fandom. Right. That they all would sing his songs to each other right. in your face to make sure that you liked it as much as they did. Right. And that's what that film felt like to me, that I was being smothered by Frank's Springsteen right. fandom, which is true to life, but I just kind of... Yeah, you had out, enough of that already. I wanted to get out of Jersey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. I, I, I hated it. <laughs> um, I, I actually wanted to say that I wanted to put an ice pick through my ear, but I, I'm being recorded. That's okay. I just said it, though. Um, no, but the, I actually did like one moment. From it moved it. me. Um, but when when the kid goes with his sister to the Indian club for the what they call it day clubbing or what I forget the term. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they go to and they're dancing in the Indian music, and I thought, okay, well that felt authentic to me, and like it was like the one moment, like they're having a good time, and it was transgressive, and it had nothing to do with Springsteen, and I love Springsteen, but I that was the one moment that I was like, oh, all right, cool, but, yeah. So All right. my next one, this is like 35 years in the making, this moment, Right, comes from a documentary that's about to hit in the next month called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. And I ha- it's, it's about Mark Patton, who was the star of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, yep. who's an out gay man uh, now. He wasn't back then. I worked on the movie. What and, were you doing? Um, I was an accountant on that movie. Right on. And... Uh, I, Mark kind of went out of his way to not talk to me, not look me in the eye, because, you know, the gay might spread. Right, he didn't want to get any of your gay on him. Right. And we didn't become friends until years later, when the film kind of ruined his career. That was the last film he did. Um, he moved away to Mexico. We met at a party years later, we became friends again. And he's just a guy that I've, I've come to love, and he's just such a sweet guy. But he's also incredibly passionate about righting the wrongs that happened around the release of the film. Right. Where the writer, for example, laid all the blame of the film's being the film being laughed at for being the gayest horror movie ever made mm-hmm. at Mark's feet. Uh, because Mark presents pretty right. gay. You know, for whatever stereotype that evokes. Sure. Um, but uh, really it was there in the script. Right. And this is a film about gay panic. And it's there, it's baked in already, so you can't blame the lead actor for playing the role that he's told to play. Right. And so for years and years and years, Marcus sought an apology from this writer. And in Scream Queen, he finally gets to that point where he gets to confront the writer. And you see 30 plus years of pain written across his face as he's telling this guy how much he hurt him, how much he's offended him, and how what what wrong he did to gay history and Mark is clearly a passionate gay advocate in this film and so that moment you just kind of look at him as the bravest soul on earth Mm. you you want to walk away from this feeling some type of relief or victory or peace you're not really sure what and the film doesn't really tell you how to feel in that moment and that's why I think it's so brilliant I love it I really enjoyed it I thought it was interesting and I had never seen the original movie so I love it you should check it out because it's Worth dissecting once you yeah. have heard all the lore. Yeah, even the clips were like, wow, this is so gay. But, it's pretty uh, gay. Did you see it? I haven't seen the documentary. I've seen I've seen Nightmare 2. Right. Did you see my credit on it? Uh, no, because I, I, the last time I saw it was way before I, I, I knew you. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, I'm sure he saw it. I'm sure it went I, on. I, I, I have seen your Game of Games credit because you've put the, the picture up 
uh, on Facebook. Can we spend the rest of the podcast talking about my credits? Yeah, yeah let's do that. No, we, okay. we, we can. We can um, yeah, you worked on Ellen's Game of Games. Yeah. 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 Okay. I've, Another podcast. I'm fresh out of movies, so what else do you I guys have got? A, I have a bunch more, and I really want to talk about them. Go for can. it. Um, I want to talk about a perfect film uh, called Little Women, uh, directed by... The, the 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 great snub of the the Oscars, Greta Gerwig, who should have been the first woman to be nominated twi- twice for best director, but oh well. Um, uh, and the moment that I want to talk about is Chris Cooper plays against type as the the heartbroken Mr. Lawrence, uh, uh, Timothy Chalamet's father in the movie, and um, he's mourning the death of his daughter, and there is this incredible, incredible moment um, where he has invited Beth, uh, the youngest daughter who's, who's dying of scarlet fever, over to his house to play piano and she hesitates for days on end and then she finally comes over and she sits at the piano and, and plays and he's on the second floor of the house when he finally hears it and, and there's this shot and I'm very moved by it, so I might cry again, but it not, has nothing to do with me. Um, she's playing, and it's, this, and it's this two shot. And she's playing, and he comes down the steps, and he just sits there and, and just listens. And, and it's, it's so moving because finally life has returned to the house. And it's from a dying girl. And, and part of the point of the whole movie and the way that it's edited together, and, and it's the, this masterstroke from Greta Gerwig, is that, is that life and death, all of it is happening at the same time. Um, and and it's, it's, it's so, so haunting and beautiful and played so brilliantly, and I just love it. Love it, I love it, I love it. Yeah, I think she found a lively realness to this film that's usually been just so Stayed. baked into its reputation as the definitive story of young women where she's found it she, she made it come alive I agree um, I enjoyed it I'm going to pick a movie that I didn't love uh, but I love the central inciting incident moment which was Queen and Slip I think it's a road movie that makes too many errors in stopping the plot and having the characters do things that I didn't buy uh, for a lot of it but the inciting incident where there's this couple that are on a Tinder date, and it's not a match, not working out, and they're about to drive home and end this date and never see each other again when they get pulled over by a cop who ends up getting killed, and they're on the run, uh, and it's um, doom and gloom from there on out. But I love the original concept of this pair who don't like each other ending up together and falling in love, but which is kind of a rom-com staple when you think about it. But I love that it's just they, they really can't stand each other. Uh, well, plus we've all, you know, t- the, the social media, those meetups are so, you know, uh, can be so disheartening. Yeah. Um, so the idea that a whole other movie could come after one of those 30-minute coffees yeah. is, is kind of intriguing to me. I swiped right on that scene and swiped left on others. There you go. I love that. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I haven't actually seen it. Did you see it? Yeah. Um, all right. What else do you got, Michael? Uh, from from the nicest, loveliest movie to the maybe one of the most evil movies from last year, uh, 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 Jennifer Kent's *The Nightingale*, 
Oh, I don't know this movie. Oh, it's delightful. She directed The Babadook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's a movie set in New Zealand uh, where um, a, an Irish immigrant uh, who's, who's an indentured servant who has her baby and her husband murdered uh, hires an aboriginal man. She doesn't have the murder. She sees the murder. Did I say has? Yeah. She didn't order oh, the murder. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, she doesn't paint houses? No, she does not. Well, she eventually does paint houses. <laughs> um, uh, but she, her, her, her husband and her baby are murdered. And she, she has an, an aboriginal man. She hires him to, to find the British officers uh, who did it. And they travel across the, the, the outback. If that's what it's called, in, they're in, in Tasmania. In Tasmania, mm-hmm. I'm just just getting all the things wrong. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, uh, she she hires these these guys this guy to to hunt them down and 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 kill them. Um, and it's 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 violent and it's gross and it's and it's despairing and it's the, the one of the angriest movies I've ever seen and I don't want to say anything like I'm surprised that a woman did this and, and blah 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 but it, it it's f- for the level of violence I'm surprised anybody made this right um, and the, the 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 thing that I want to talk about is that they finally get to the end and they they find where the officer's quarters is in some level of civilization, and the Aboriginal guy goes into the, the the mess hall to get to these guys and finally put an end to all this. And she has second thoughts, and she goes in and basically talks mad of it, but does this by talking down these officers and having this very long speech about the, the, the meaning of what's gone on and all this death that's gone on. And I stopped myself and I froze and I realized that I've been watching this thing for two hours hoping that the worst things would happen to these people. And the whole point was that Jennifer can set us all up for that. And I was like, you fucking genius you you genius you did this on she purpose. made you want this she made you want it and then and then she yanked the rug out from 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 under you and i thought that's that's this is the kind of movie that we need right now it says something about the world yeah did you see it i did yeah, yeah. it's Do punishing agree? yeah it's brutal and punishing but it's the acting is incredible and it's a long slow burn right of getting you from point a to point b and watching this character, the two characters evolve beyond their initial stations, it's it's a uh, it's a it's a great revenge epic. All right, yeah, another one to watch for. All right, I'm gonna pick Rocket Man. Oh yeah, I loved it um, because I thought that this was one of the few movie musicals that visually expressed how I feel about the music. And so you're taking these Elton John songs that many of us grew up listening to. And have pictures in our minds of what those songs look like in our heads. Like you hear a song like Rocket Man, and a lot of people think about an image or something of someone out in space, whatever it is. This movie found a way to integrate Elton John's biography into those songs to make you feel these songs 
in a different way than you might have not have expected, but that feel right to the story they're telling. For example, the title song, Rocket Man, starts with Elton John strung out at a pool party on a diving board wearing a robe, and he purposely just sideways dives into the pool and floats to the bottom, and his younger self is there at a piano singing the opening strains to Rocket Man. In the bottom of the pool. At the bottom of the pool, and it takes us on this journey from that to where we somehow end up at Dodger Stadium with Elton John in a spangly Dodger uniform. Right. He gets, he's a little high, he's really strung out still, but he wakes himself up enough to go out on stage, he greets the crowd, and then he takes a big swing and then flies out into the air up into the stratosphere. And you go, yeah, that's about what that song does feel like. Right. And I thought it was a beautiful musical expression. I felt like the filmmakers... If they had an idea that felt super exuberant, they never got too cool and like, no, we can't. Like there was a, there was a um, joy about it. So, Rocket Man, what'd you think? I I I I love that love 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 that movie, and it's how do I express this? It's the it's one of the few redemption stories which earns the redemption. Like it doesn't it, especially be, because the, the the person that it, it's about they were involved. Like I I hate Bohemian Rhapsody. I hate that movie. As and that's also well that was well documented here. Yeah. Um, Elton John was involved, and it and it and it it as glittery gl- glittery and as big and exuberant as it is. It it also contained for me an, a, a, a a weird lack of vanity. If it's weird to say that, but but he comes by the whole thing with addiction really kind of earnestly and honestly. And and I I I, I thought yeah you, you can be really proud of this movie like the, the, it, it, there's there's honesty here that that and truth that by the end of it when when they do I'm still standing um, I thought. Good on, good on you, man. I think there's a few reasons why, though, it earned, it gets that. One, you might have a more truthful storyteller in Elton John, you know. But I it's mean, also the same director, but that's... Sure, that, but Freddie Mercury is no longer alive to make his own biopic. So things could be sugar-coated, right? Whereas with Elton John, you have, first of all, a guy who luckily for us wants to tell the truth story, wants to, warts and all... Second of all, he did go through a rehab. And one of the points of rehab is owning your truth. And third um, was that um, he's alive. So he gets to do this. You know, so I think that puts it head and shoulders above knowing me Rhapsody, maybe luckily for those reasons. I feel a little bad because I, I feel like the awards season stuff didn't go for Rocket Man as much as it did for Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, that's the maybe fact. there wasn't there was more competition, but I feel like Bohemian Rhapsody sort of stole that moment a little bit, and but I feel like Rocket Man's a better movie. Yeah, but like, and 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 the fact that like uh, uh, what's his name, Rami Malek won, and Taron Egerton wasn't even nominated is just I know it, it, it shocking feels, to it me. It feels like such an injustice. Yeah, um, I I love Saturday Night Night's All Right for Fight and the exuberance of that and the way he jumps and dances and yeah. the uh, the fun of that number yeah, especially. Yeah. And I was also touched by the Bernie Toppin relationship yeah. throughout. Yeah, go for it. Um, fun horror movie. Us. 
Yes, it feels like it was two years ago, but it wasn't. No, it was it was last year. Yeah. Um, I think I think Get Out is a is a perfect little movie. Um, Us is a bit messier and unkept and more ambitious because it's a bigger movie. But that's kind of why I admire it more in in a sense. Um, and Lupita Nyong'o, another kind of upset in a, in in a way. Um, but I don't actually want to talk about her. I want to talk about Elizabeth Moss. Loved her. Um, she's she's incredible in the movie. And if they ever want to do another ballsy interpretation of the Joker, um, they should look at her because when they when she when her doppelganger is revealed, um, and I, I want to talk. I have to talk about that because I mean it, enough people have yeah, seen this, this movie. Yeah, um, When when her doppelganger is revealed. And she is investigating herself in the mirror, and kind of take kind of. I think she has a knife at one point. She's kind of poking at her chin. Um, it is it is one of the creepier um, moments in a horror movie that I've ever seen, and and I I, I just love it. Um, and and she kind of reveals things about being white and upper middle class. Um, and, and being a zombie in, in many ways that I, I think are absolutely wonderful. Um, and I wish... I, she's going to be in um, The Invisible Man uh, later this month. I saw the trailer. This month. And, and I'm, I'm not usually excited about these modern remakes, but it looks like a really weird take on that story. Yeah. So, from the trailer, I certainly thought that. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of Us? I loved Us. Um, I, my moment is just when the inciting incident happens... Where the family is gathered in their little cottage, uh, their vacation cottage, and the kid comes in and says there are people outside at the door, and you see them. You see their doppelgangers just standing there in these red jumpsuits, the father's got a baseball bat in his hand, and they're standing still, in line, staring down at this family. And I'm a big fan of home invasion thrillers, and that's a home invasion moment for the centuries. It's just so terrifying to... I mean, imagine seeing that out your window. Yeah. You know? Um, and and it, it stuck with me. And I think also a big uh, oversight for that film, in addition to Lupita Nyong'o not getting a nomination for a totally brilliant performance, is the score. Um, Michael Abels, who did the score, his first film score for Get Out, right. um, is back again with Jordan Peele. And he has created such a memorable score that, that montage with the ballet dancing and what's going on in the basement is brilliant. I, I mean, he's using some existing uh, uh, um, music there in addition to his own score and blending it together, sort of this classical and this hip-hop coming together, you know, with that I've Got Five on It song. Yeah. And it creates this sort of terrifying suite of... He's trying to trace the, the history of the... Um, lower class being uh, kind of pushed down and pushed down and pushed down and you feel this music erupted to this big scream basically and I think it's such a distinctive score and that he has been completely overlooked for that as well yeah and, and I and I love the thing about the music is that the first indication that you know something's wrong with the Lupita Nyong'o character is when She's trying to get the kid to go along with the beat, and she can't. She can't get it. She's a little out of rhythm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's a very I, I also love that everyone got to create two characters. You know, yeah. especially the Lupita. 
Um, what else we got? Um, the Last Black Man in San Francisco. I need to see that. So this is also streaming right now. You can yeah. watch it today. I just saw uh, a DVD. One yeah. of the more beautifully shot films of the year. Yeah. But also one of the more touching buddy stories about these two black men who are very likely the last black man in San Francisco, the way the story is trying to tell right. it. But there's this... And, and the last shot is one of the most beautiful shots of any film this year. But there's a moment in the film where our main character, who's basically playing a version of himself in real life, um, is standing in this home that he knows the history of, and it involves his family, and he's defending that home and wanting to live there and take it over and own its history. And then a group of San Francisco tourists on segways roll up, and the tour guide is telling them a different history about the home and gets into a back-and-forth argument with our hero about it. And in that moment, you start to doubt our hero's story, and you wonder... Who is telling the truth here? And it turns everything that you've known about this film on its ear. And I just thought it was a really cool storytelling beat in a film where you're passionately going with this person until you realize, hmm, I loved it. Maybe I maybe he's an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see it. Did you see it, Michael? Yeah. All right. What's your next one? Um, another horror film. Uh, the Lighthouse. Oh, yeah. Robert Pattinson, Willem mm-hmm. Dafoe. Yeah. Did you see it? Did not see it. Glenn and I, I saw it, and it was it was one of the the, the great freakouts um, because again, it's not it's not a classic or a classical horror film in any sense of the word because it's not it's not scary, right? But but the filmmaking is is set up in such a way that you're you're unsettled and then you're 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 just freaking out by the end of it because it's just so weird. Um, and there's nothing to really grasp onto. So basically, it's these two lighthouse keepers um, who are put on this island for, for 28 days, which is an important detail because I was arguing at the end of it that what I really think the movie is about is the horror of addiction. It's about alcoholism. Mm. Um, and Robert Pattinson is put there actually to dry out um, and never does. Um and basically, it's these two guys that are put there, and they're they're fighting, and they're um, basically trying to kill each other by the end. Um, and we talked about uh, uh, the witch, which was Robert Eggers' previous film, and how that movie had uh, the Daniel Day Lewis of of the Animal Kingdom in Black Philip, the goat. And this movie doesn't have. Quite that it had, but it does have a, a a seagull that terrorizes Robert Pattinson, and Robert Pattinson eventually kills the uh, seagull by by slamming it against a rock repeatedly, um, and and that's not a good thing because apparently the seagulls contain the, the souls of, of dead sailors. That's not the moment that I want to talk about though. Um, of the 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 lighthouse apparently. Has has some power to it, and they're not allowed to look at the light until Robert Pattinson eventually does. And that moment is so frightening and so scary. And it, I don't know how to describe it except that it gets so bright that you have to actually close your eyes. And Robert Pattinson doesn't, and I don't know how they filmed it. Um, uh, but it's 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 overwhelming. Um, what did you think, Clint? 
Well, I, my take on it is a little different than yours. While I understand that you're saying it's about addiction, I didn't see that as a central theme. No, I don't think it is either. But. Um, I think this is a gay film. Oh. And that is a Of film. course you would. It's a, film about, <laughs> it's a film about gay panic. And that I was thinking, you trace the roots of this film, you could go from a silent film like Greed to David Lynch's Eraserhead to Nightmare on Elm Street 2 to Lighthouse, and you can see a through line. Uh, and that um, this, that in fact, that would be the best quadruple build in film history <laughs> to watch those four at, the, at once. Because uh, to me, this film is all about these two men uh, really kind of lusting after each other in isolation and what the consequences of that are. Uh, and yeah, the 28 Days is a convincing argument that it's about um, addiction. Uh, but I think that's just an underlying result of the gay panic. Interesting. I need, and it it looks amazing, right? The cinematography. Yeah, oh, it's it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and it's all black and white. Yeah, I need to check it out. Well worth seeing. Well, I know. Well, I have a list of like ten movies <coughs> I need to see now. Um, who else has a movie they want to talk about? Um, Uncut Gems. It just go through it. Okay, so an, another snub, I think. Adam yeah. Sandler. I I don't like his comedy at all, but I think that as as a dramatic actor, I I think that he is absolutely incredible and and it's it's not just this movie i think i think he's great in punch drunk love i think he's he's the only good thing about men women and children i think he's great in rain over me i mean i think he's a really great dramatic actor um and this is his his probably his best work and that last 30 minutes is so brilliantly directed um and that's really the 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 the, the moment for me is that final 30 minutes where you think Oh, I may get out of this, and, and it doesn't quite go according to plan. But I agree about the last part of it, like that, that the way everything just played out, yeah. all the plot threads came together. Yeah. I also took away, like, I, I also thought of Trump a little bit with it because it's like this guy. You you think, oh, if he pulls this off and he gets his money and he just stops taking doing crazy shit, he could have a good life. Yeah. But he can't. Because he's an addict. Because he's got to be gambling, doing all the crazy shit. That's who he is. That's what Trump, he's always going to be shady. Oh, that's, he he couldn't just stop and say no more crimes. So you think, you think Trump is, is, is an addict in that? Well, no, but just like after Mueller, after he was cleared, he could have been like, okay, I'm going to keep my nose clean. He, He had to do the Ukraine thing the next day. That's really interesting. I think if it's not shady, he's not interested. Yeah. All right, what else you got? All right, the next one would be. Terrence Malick's beautiful, beautiful A Hidden Life. Did you see that? I did not. It takes place in World War II, and it involves a farmer who is a conscientious um, objector and does not subscribe to um, Hitler's doctrine, and so does not want to go to war, obviously, and um, decides that he would rather be jailed and and not be with his family. Um, and so, and his family does not want that to happen to him. And <clears throat> ultimately is executed. I'm not giving anything away because it's actual history. Um, but, and the townspeople are, are very upset about this. And it involves a lot of the typical Terrence Malick stuff of, Mountains and flowers and people running through fields and hugging one another and all that kind of stuff. Although it has more of a plot than his normal stuff. Um, 
But the thing that I was, one of the scenes that I was most moved by is he, he the main character, meets a pre, uh, painter in, in a church. And uh, one of the, the, the things that this painter says, is he says, how can I know what, uh, what I haven't lived? He says, someday I'll have the courage to venture. Someday I'll show them a, a true Christ. Meaning that he doesn't know what he can't, he doesn't know what he can, can or cannot paint. Right. Um, but he doesn't realize that he's talking to somebody who can be a Christ in one sense because he can give his life for something that he truly believes in. And the whole point of the movie and, and the idea of a hidden life is that even though this guy was not known until recently, um, he was willing to give his life for, for a very important cause um, and, and willing to show the world that, that not to, standing up to tyranny was, was, was a very, very important thing. And again, this is one of the movies that I, I saw last year that I was like, that's going on the end of the decade list because it was important and beautiful and amazing and I thought essential um, because we're dealing with criminals in right. charge right now that are doing terrible, awful, violent, evil things and we need art to show the, the better angels of ourselves. So, uh, you getting all this? I am. You, you saw that one, didn't you? Yeah, I thought it was art with a capital A-R-T and pretentious, boring, an hour and a half too long with some memorable stuff in it. All right. But as a whole, I could not stand watching a second of it. Yeah, well, I didn't <laughs> see it, but they sent me a lovely booklet that I think I made some greeting cards out of at craft night. So that's my contribution. Okay. So okay, and you I, have a few more. I will I will end with 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 two more. And that's okay. Shia LaBeouf has has not had a very good uh, few years and he has I think in this past year really resurrected himself. And that has come in the form of two movies and the reason I want to talk about them is not just because of him but because one of those movies uh, was the opening night of the Real Abilities Film Festival that I co-directed. Which was just what? You, when was that? That was in October. Okay. And cool. we're we're having uh, year three this coming October. Fantastic. Yeah. So the first movie was Honey Boy, um, which he uh, had a supporting part, uh, but he also uh, wrote while he was in rehab. Did you see that? Yeah, I thought it was great. This, this I thought his performance was amazing. Amazing. I thought I liked the directing. So really, just moving and funny and weird and, and just so powerful um, and and the moment that I, I would talk about is uh, Noah Jupe uh, who, who plays the the young version of, of, of the, uh, the Shia facsimile um, is is on the phone with his mother and his father played by Shia um, is having an argument with the with the mother, and he is transmitting the messages. I, I remember that scene very back well. Back and forth. Yeah. And what's so amazing about it is the way that he conveys that the parents can't talk to one another, but also how good of an actor the little kid is. I mean, how good of an actor Noah Jupe is, but how good of an actor Shia LaBeouf would have been because he's able to do impressions of the two of them back at one another. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's such a good moment. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so do you? I agree. Yeah. Yeah, that was in my moments. That's that's the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the other movie, uh, like I said, which was the opener for us, was the Peanut Butter Falcon. Yep, with Shia LaBeouf yeah, and Dakota Johnson. Johnson. And uh, and, uh, an, and a brilliant young actor that we, we all loved called Zach Gottsagan, who has Down Syndrome. And uh, all praise goes to him and to um, uh, Tyler Nelson and Mike Schwartz, the, the directors, uh, who who set, who actually turned down more more money to make the movie so that they could get Zach into it, um, and the moment that I loved in that was when uh, Zach, who who's also the name of the character, and Tyler, who's the Shia character, have initially met but have parted. Uh, are, are eventually reunite because uh, uh, Zach is being bullied by these other kids on this dock and Tyler sees this and runs up and punches one of the kids and knocks knocks the, the, the bully into the water and the reason I love that is because I love how anytime disability is handled in a movie violently and not handled in a way that's sweet and delicate. Yeah, it's that 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 always cheers me up and, and warms my heart. I love it. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to sit down and talk about this. No, we're just, we're just going to shove some to... some asshole in the water. Yeah, yeah. And I loved a moment where Zach is walking behind Shia LaBeouf. They're going through this field trying to evade capture, and uh, Zach just stops the action, and Shia LaBeouf's like, "No, you know, we got to keep going. What's going on?" And he goes, "I want you to know about me." Yeah, and it was just one of those moments. Like he's feeling ignored, and he wants his say. I sometimes love that in movies when somebody just says the, the thing, yeah. instead of like, "Well, the subtext of this line is that I want you to know about me." Well, what if he just says that? Sometimes those are the greatest moments. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, did they all come to the festival? Did any of the they did? And I interviewed them. Well, it was Zach, Zach Gottsagen was there, and the directors were there, and I interviewed. What them. What were they like? They were they were wonderful and weird, and it's just. It, 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 it was one of the highlights of my my movie life. Congrats. That's awesome. Yeah, so. And uh, I heard the festival was a huge success. It, it was, and, and Glenn helped me pick some of the movies. Nice. So he was a big, big help and contribution to that. And all right. Well, we'll look forward to the next one in October. Yeah, please come. One and oh. all. All right. Well, thanks, you guys, for rolling with it. I've had a sound issue. I have a voice issue. We're, we've got some visitors. I, I hope it all works. Yeah, uh, we have pills. But you know what? We talked about movies and how awesome they are and, and it, how and, much they bring to our lives. And, it, and how they make us better. And yes. It, and it really does. And I, I, I'm not going to cry, but, but it, 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 it made my day that you came. So. I love it. Well, and I, I was going back to that Roger Ebert line that movies were like an empathy machine yeah. something like that yeah. and, I, and I really feel like that's true especially as we were talking about the movies that, that moved us so much yeah. this year sorry about my voice um, and I want to say that we all love movies but Michael's here in a hospital bed post-surgery so if anybody loves movies more than him they don't exist they don't exist that's right um, and I want to get one little gotcha in here okay okay so we're all done talking about the movies correct yeah 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 correct okay, I think so sure 
So last year, careful listeners will know that Michael said there are no other movies in 2019 except Serenity, Uh-oh. starring Matthew McConaughey. He right. didn't mention it on this, and I, I told him he would forget about it by year's end, and he did. There you go. <laughs> I didn't forget about it because, because Anne Hathaway's wig was the best performance of 2019. There you go. Nope, you, you said we, we all agreed we weren't talking about movies anymore. Is, it, is it still recording? It's Don't still cut recording. this out. Don't cut this out. Well, too late. I heard how <laughs> bonkers Serenity was. And I truly do love that movie. So they were showing it at Alamo Draft House on their Wacky Wednesday screenings, which are for weird movies. Yeah. And Glenn went to see it with me. He'd seen it already. And it really goes to the place that you don't expect it to go. But I think... Hathaway somehow keeps yeah, her dignity, can I, yeah. and, the, and McConaughey goes down with the ship. Um, but I did, I do vote for the Razzies, even though I don't pay for a membership. I interviewed the author guy a few years ago, and he just keeps me on the list. So I, I do think I voted for it for a few Razzies. Well, I, I shame on you, but yeah. but no. Here, here's the thing: you, one can argue that it falls on its face, but there's no movie like that. And, and and I argue that any movie that does its own thing is 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 worth rooting for. So so you can say that it's terrible or it's weird or it's it's gross. Fine. But I could also imagine reading the script and going, "This is either going to be really cool or a disaster." Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. I am going to submit that Cats made Michael forget about Serenity. Cats could, could make I, you forget about a lot of things. Yeah. So, um, and it was beautiful to look at Serenity. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much. I have so many movies I need to go and see now. Um, check out Glenn's reviews on The Queer Review. And keep an eye out next October for the Real Abilities Film Festival Los Angeles. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Glenn and Michael for sharing their movie thoughts with us. My voice is going away, so my So This Happened is going to be very quick. I went to see opening night of Del Shore's new show, This Side of Crazy. It's really terrific. I'm hoping to interview Del and at least one of his actors about the show. We had to cancel it because I didn't have a voice. And um, that's it. Thanks for putting up with all the craziness. And we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.